Hey guys, welcome back to the Disciples channel with me, James and Marcus. And today we're joined by a very special guest, probably the most talked about Yu-Gi-Oh player at the moment, two-time YCS champion and now world champion, Paulie Aronson. Woo! <laughs> hey guys! Doing, <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Happy to be on. Yeah, we're really lucky to have you on. Um, I'm so happy like a TCG player won it because it is we haven't had it for a while and now we can get a lot more insight from someone uh you know from our side uh of the world uh talking about you know our game yeah just uh Definitely. just quickly do you have any shout outs to give before you kind of start the podcast anyone you want to thank yeah shout out to my team high frequency games um Hani's like one of my best friends and he helped me test like a ton for worlds i always give him a huge shout out and my other teammates you know really cool and um yeah just everyone who helped me test for the event because we did we did a lot of testing and it was it was uh it's always good yeah i mean yeah. where would we be without teammates you know and people to help us i don't think anyone could win an event exactly. without anyone no no i think that'd be really rare yeah, and <laughs> impressive <laughs> so i guess the we wanted to go over worlds uh first yeah uh, marcus i know you had specific questions that you kind of wanted to go over yeah, um, I really wanted to know about your world's preparation. I know you spoke a lot about it uh, on Pat's podcast, but I kind of wanted to have maybe a couple of questions. I was slightly testing a bit with Jess um, going into worlds. Uh, I didn't have much time to play the format, so I, I didn't think I was a good testing partner, more so a, a bit of theory mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like how was your prep into worlds? Was it different for any other YCSs? I can imagine the tournament environment is like 30 or 28 amazing players the best players in the world and i guess you might have to approach it differently uh the round structure is different so yeah i just wanted to hear more about yeah i mean i, I kind of approach it similar to, an, to other events like you know an event where there's a brand new format similar to when a set releases or a ban list just dropped like it was a big format change because it was it was i think there was we made a list of like 17 or like 15 to 20 decks that were like potentially viable options and so there's so many choices and like a lot of them were really good um so there's a wide open format and because it's such a small tournament so closed and you know each person kind of wants to be somewhat exclusive and doesn't really want to share what like everyone wants to be kind of like secretive right so it's like you don't really know what anyone else is doing so it's you're going in to a broad diverse format and you're going in blind essentially so it was it's, it was challenging but I, I did work together with a lot of the other players, so it wasn't it was it wasn't like too blind, but um, but it was it was it was definitely a lot. Um, I did a lot from I did a lot of preparation for it. Um, as I've said before, like you know, the day after Nats when I qualified, I pretty much just focused from that point out on just putting everything into into testing for worlds. Like my you know um, my my birthday was like two days after after Nats, and like my friends wanted to take me out. My parents wanted to take me out for my birthday, and just my friends wanted to like go do something fun. And I was like, I can't. I I, I have to stay home. I have to play test <laughs> every day, the rest of the month. I mean, it paid. That was, that was all I did. <laughs> yeah, it did. It, that was one of the cool parts because I I really do try to put a lot of you know a lot of heart and and time into the game when I'm preparing for an event, and it's it's always really awesome to see it like pay off. Yeah, I can always imagine before you go into an event, like uh, maybe you play in the tournament. I, I, there's definitely tournaments where I've played and not done well. And I think, oh, maybe if I just spent those extra one or two days. And then it's a slight feeling of regret. I don't know if you maybe had the same thought about it going, you know. I, I do. I mean, every, even, even, even with the amount I tested, there, there was like, I still felt like, damn, I, I probably could have tested more. Like, like <laughs> I, 
and and it's just because we're going going. I will say every event I've ever done well at, I've always gone into the event thinking I was going to do badly, feeling like oh I didn't prepare enough. Like like there's this matchup, this matchup's a bad matchup, this matchup's a bad matchup. What am I going to do about this? And then but like sometimes it works out and you get there and you are more prepared than you think. And then other times I've also always found that any tournament I went into like feeling really confident where I thought my deck was like really good and I thought I was going to do really well, I've ended up doing really bad. And I think the correlation is because if like, at least for me personally, when I'm, if I'm that confident, that means I haven't actually tested enough to just to, to, to rec to be able to recognize all of the actual weaknesses and bad matchups yeah. that I do have. Whereas like when I'm not feeling confident, it's because I've thoroughly tested enough to actually have already recognized all of the weaknesses. And like, so I feel less confident, but I'm actually more prepared. Whereas when I'm feeling confident, it usually means I didn't actually prepare enough. I don't know if anyone else has that correlation, but I've, I've noticed that for sure for myself. 100%. Uh, I kind of call this concept like paranoia, like especially when I'm testing, looking for people to test with. Like sometimes you talk to people and they're like, yeah, I've got it all figured out. My deck's solid. And then you speak to some other friends and like, oh, maybe this small thing I could look at. Maybe this other tech card I could change. Maybe there's another deck. And this paranoia always leads you to trying to get more information of the format, maybe more exactly. information in your deck. And it really does keep pushing you closer to maybe the best mm -hmm. result. Whereas like if you make it and you got everything solved, uh, you kind of just stop and call it there. Yeah. Um, like I'm like, I'm like super OCD and I think like, like I have a hard time making decisions and sometimes that bites me in the butt. Cause like, sometimes I like, I'm always like last minute doing, I'm always doing everything last minute, like last minute submitting my deck list last minute. Like, cause, cause like I, I, I'm, I cannot make decisions until like the very deadline, but because of that, like it makes my eventual decision. Like when I do eventually make my decisions, it's like, I know I put like all of the thought and time I could possibly put into them, into them. So it, in a way it kind of helps. <laughs> at some point you um, just go yeah. back to yourself and trust yourself right and you go go okay i've done as much as i possibly can do mm -hmm. let's just yeah let's just go for it now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm never able to like say that i i literally like like i always like try to tell myself that and then i'm just like no, no i have to keep thinking and then like <laughs> then when the deadline eventually comes you're just forced to like go with what you got then it's like okay now i've been forced to make a decision and now i'm at peace because now it's over and now, and then like once I submit my deck list, I don't even think about Yu-Gi-Oh for the rest, like usually Friday morning, like the whole next like 24 hours, I'm not even like, I don't even think about Yu-Gi-Oh, like, like not even like a minute. Like I'm the tone, if someone brings them up, I'm like, ah, my deck's already done. I don't want to talk about that. Like, <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it. Otherwise you start second guessing yourself over something you can't mm -hmm. even change. And then right. you just once start you can't it, right, And then you, yeah. you know, if you're thinking about it in the tournament, oh, what if I change this and this and then, yeah. I yeah. Think bad mind. And then as far as like, and then as far as like the actual practicing, you know, you know, testing, like usually at that point, I've already done so much that's like, all right, like I don't need to practice Friday afternoon because I've already put a lot of time into practicing. So usually by that point, I'm, I'm good and then we're good to go. And then, and then comes the event and either we do good or we do bad. And sometimes we do bad, but <laughs> sometimes we do good. So. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to play with the hands you're given a lot of these times, even mm -hmm. though you've like uh, put in so many hours of uh, playing real matches and playing these very niche scenarios, a lot of times you're playing very common game states. You just really need the playable hand just to execute you know you mm -hmm. go for no hand traps just set up the board or you get ash or you get infirm just set up the board that you know how to make that you're going to do most of the time yeah sure yep. that yeah um i wanted to ask because you said you were unsure on some things did you have a tier list in your head and was there decks that you 100 percent crossed out and that you knew were not the best deck and not viable i did i did have a tier list and and uh that i was testing a little bit um i think because of all the limits to tier in at worlds format i am just joking i knew i knew what you meant but i said oh. i'd run with it okay. <laughs> no if you might you, you might tier list isn't like oh a ranking yeah, of decks right not yeah. tier element maybe it's the yeah, no. maybe the it's the players yeah. played it it's not that out there um 
Uh, yeah, they did. I, I actually played against Thailand round one against the, the Chinese representative. We had a good match. We went to game three. I bricked game three and then had to pass with a strike and an ash and another hand trap. But I got there. And then turn three, I drew, I drew something that was alive. It was a fun match. But no, um, as far as a tier list, like an, a ranking of the decks, I think, I thought that the main three decks I was testing the most in the time leading up to the event were um, Dragon, Manadium, and Rika. I just felt like those were all solid combo decks that had, a, uh, especially Rika and Manadium, I think just had really, really high ceilings and um, like were just good all around decks. They didn't have any hits to them at the event. And um, so and I knew I wanted to play something combo-esque um, just because I felt like, I feel like a lot of times the OCG players lean more toward control, I think. Um, although this year, I mean, they were mostly playing, a lot of them were playing Tear, Element, and Branded, which wasn't really that controlly. So I guess it was a mix, but I, my, my idea was kind of like, you know, if a lot of people play control, just in general, if you have like a solid combo deck and you know how to play it, I think you can sometimes do well in a field of a lot of control. Whereas if everyone plays combo, you know, mirrors can be iffy and then maybe you don't want to play combo. But I, I felt like combo would be like a good pick for, for Worlds. Um, and Manadium and like and Rika were kind of two that I was looking at the most. But I found through testing that like, Manadium has like no grind game. It's very kind of glass cannony. You make a, a board turn one, and if they break it, you have almost no recovery chance of recovery whatsoever. Um, and Rika has a good has a very good grind game, very good grind game, but was very felt very fragile to hand traps at certain points in the combo. Um, which is I know a lot of people feel that Rika is not that vulnerable to hand trap because oh, it's like oh you have princess you can just get a hand trap, but like being able to actually set up princess and then do Loki combo doesn't actually happen that often. I feel like so. Like, Nib a lot of times is really good. Like, Nib is actually one of my favorite cards against Riga, which is like counterintuitive because a lot of people think Nib bad against them because of Princess, but like, I feel it's very good. And then, like, even just other hand traps, like, any combination of two hand traps oftentimes felt like it could make Rika end on just, like, a really, really low board. So I wanted to play Rika, but it just didn't feel like it, it just, like I said, it just felt a little bit too fragile. And then in the end, I just ended up going with Dragon because it was the deck that I had kind of been, like, it was one of the other main decks I had been testing throughout the period and just was like, all right, Generally, I always feel you should go with the deck that you're the most comfortable with and that you have the most playtime with, as long as it's like within reason of like you know still like a good, as long as we're not talking about like like battery men or something, right? So um, I was like dragon and dragon was the deck I really had been putting the most time in with, and it was a solid deck. wasn't quite as high ceiling as Rika or Manadium, but I thought it was a good just a solid around all around choice. And the Bishels also like are because you you still have six Bishels in the main. Um, the Bishels were good into um like a lot of the decks, like the like other decks in the format, like just because of the, you know, the Crow interaction. So against like Manadium, arguably Labyrinth, against Element for sure, against Branded, um, against a lot of the other decks in the format, the Bishops were kind of just like a nice plus. There was two Mathmics in top eight that also for Dragon Link. I'm sorry, Mathmic, yes. I knew there was another one I wasn't thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Mathmic as well. The Bishels, that was a really good deck. I think without the Bishels, that probably would have been a bad matchup. Sure. Also, that deck, I think, was a really good choice for the event. Also, very good counters against arguably the best deck in the room that day, ABC. Oliver um, Newton with ABC. I love all. I love Oliver Newton. Shout out to Oliver Newton, but I don't <laughs> know about his deck choice. But that's okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure he had fun. Um, <laughs> but um. No, I think math. Yeah, I knew, I knew some of the Americans were testing math going into the event, so I knew that was gonna there were gonna be at least a couple there. Um, and I knew that was like a really good deck, but um, Dragon, I knew Dragon was like solid against it because of Bishels. It was at least it was like pretty fifty fifty. I lost to Enzo, and uh, he like that was like the hardest match for sure of the week, and he like he crushed me. Uh, like I made a full board twice, and he played through. I'm pretty sure I was like damn. So yeah, math was a good. Enzo was also a really good player, but math a good was a good deck. Um. And then, yeah, so I just thought, but overall, all around, I felt Dragon was a solid choice. Um, 
and uh, yeah, that was kind of my, my process. I, I tested a lot, like I said, um, 135 hours in three weeks. So I know that because my phone, I play all my D, I play, I do all my testing on DB and my yeah, phone tells me the, the screen time thing. Yeah, so you know how on your phone it shows like screen time, like yeah. if you go into settings, you can see like how much time you spend in each app. So like, um, for me, I could just, I was able to go and it said like duelingbook.com, like it would tell you me how many minutes I spent each day. Uh, and I added it up at the end of the three week period between Nats, between WCQ and Worlds and it was 135 hours, so. Wow. Now you're world champion, can you see yourself getting a laptop or a PC? <laughs> what do I need that? Are you, superstition, maybe, you know, you've been winning on your phone, I guess. We're not going to change it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really so. liked the decks you um, you considered. Like they, those decks for me look like the best value. Like some cards are better than others. You go first with these decks. The board you set up is better than I would say something like Tier Element or Branded. These decks also, I feel like, especially um, Dragons, like you had the flexibility of playing so much non-engine to just be able to give yourself the chance of winning going second. Right. But like playing something like Tier, Sure, you give yourself maybe the chance of going winning going first, but I don't see how it can. Right, Terra. Definitely, I think Terra is like especially like particularly bad when it comes. Not bad, but particularly like can play uh, like very low amount of non-engine, right? And probably branded too, like the second probably can play with the second least amount of non-engine. At least branded has Bishels in main though, but um, but yeah, Terra for sure. Like just it's a, it was a still even with all the limits it was still a really good deck but it had a little bit of consistency issue arguably because of the milling factor and the limits and yeah like you said just not being able to play a lot of non-engine um i feel like some of the best choices for the event were like the decks that could play like the most yeah. non-engine so like i think the three decks that could play the most non-engine that we tested were like it was marine sets mass neck and pearly um i think my video just can't cut out my bad but um in Marincess, uh, Math Mech, and Pearly, uh, all of which I think were good decks to potentially play for the event. Um, Marincess has a little bit of a low ceiling on its own combo, so that's an issue. Uh, Pearly has some consistency issues itself because Pot, severity was limited at Worlds, and as was Sleepy Memory. So, like, arguably just Pearly would have lost a little consistency, and going first, sometimes you would just, like, lose the one-hand trap. Pearly ended up testing really good. It's like a go-second deck, actually, uh, against a lot of the combo decks. But I didn't... I, Pearly was actually a deck I considered playing specifically only as a go-second deck. But I didn't feel comfortable just playing a go-second deck in general into yeah. such an open field. Too way too risky. risky. Like, if you're trying to win the event, um, putting yourself on go-second, I, I feel like maybe you lose a, a lot of edge. Maybe, uh, maybe you want to say your goal is the top, but trying to win and your opponent wins die roll. Yeah. So like, like, in testing, Pearly literally had, like, a 75 to 80% win rate going second against Rika and Dragon, which was insane. I was like, wow, this is, like, a really good counter pick. But I'm like, I'm going to go to the event, and I'm not going to play Dragon Rika all day. I'm going to play, like, I'm going to play, like, a branded player or, like, a terror player, and I'm going to be like, well, I just, now I just have no chance going second. So, I, yeah, I, I decided that wasn't really a viable option. But um, Mathmech was probably the best hand trap deck of, of those three. And uh, as we saw, it did, it did well, so. Yeah, I agree with you uh, completely yeah. on uh, your thoughts on Worlds. And I, I think it helped you a lot in your win, of course, like having a really good grasp of what the best decks are. And in short, it must um, help with your deck building in order to decide what to respect. Because I'm sure when you played matches, maybe if you consider deck low value, maybe you considered it less in your side deck and main deck when choosing what cards to play against it. Yeah, I, I I will say for as far as that, that I ended up, I kind of ended up just going with like the most across the board, like generic options that I could um in both the main and the side. So like, in, like I ended, literally ended up signing, like I had infinite impermanences in my side with Valors in my main. To give an example of how much I like to lean toward just broad coverage, um I thought about playing Contact C 
for the event in my side because it really it's really good against Riga, really good against Riga, because um, they almost always their, their entire extra is almost always plants that they, they have no outs. Um, and all the cards that tribute, they're like uh, they specify you have to tribute a plant or an opponent's monster. So there's no way for them to clear contact without like tribute without tribute summoning over it. Um, and against Pearly, kind of see also just it just literally solos them. But they are much more likely to have like a dark charmer or an IP in the extra to out it. So it's like it was very risky whether or not they would be playing it out. And then uh, decent against Mathmec, but not really because they can make transcode over it. And there's a brand it's good against. The only fusion they can make is Iron Dash. So Skunnexy was really good against a couple of the decks in the format, potentially. But like, and, and I still felt Riku was one of the best decks uh, for the event. So I really wanted to side contact C, but I ended up decide, just deciding like, no, like there's gonna, be so, there's gonna be so many different decks in the room. I just want to have as much coverage as I can. There's gonna be some combo deck I'm gonna sit down against where I'm just going to want those contactsies to just be like another generic hand trap that can go in. And so I ended up just going with Imperms in the side. Uh, and then the main was like Veilers, Drolls. I was meaning Veilers, Drolls, Nibs, and Ashes. So just just generic coverage. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to always be kind of deferential to that. I really just like um, my non-engine cards to just be as like consistent as possible. I just want them to be live like every game, going first or second, like in as many matchups as they can be live uh, kind of thing. Um, I cited Strike as well over like Eradicator Virus, which was what most Dragon players were citing for their go first card was, was Eradicator. I just felt, you know, in testing, there were too many games where I just wouldn't see a Bestial or like I just, you know, and it would, or like I would brick and, or I would get hand trapped and wouldn't be able to end on like a, a monster to make the Eradicator live. And so I would just was like, yeah, I just always want, I'd rather it be a, gen, in general for like my go first side cards. I always want them to be something that will always be live in every game state. Like no matter what the matchup is, it can always go in. Because there's not there's some matchups where Erad is not good even right so it's like strike is always good in every matchup it like it's even if you brick it will always be live you know around uh, like I said round one of the tournament I played against the terror player and I brick game three but because of I had strike set with Nash I was able to you know stop stop him on his turn and I was able to draw out of it so if that was like a eradicator virus it would never have been able to um I would have lost that game so like in situations like that why I just like just like just like the cards that just give the most broadest coverage. Okay. No, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially into Worlds format, where the f you're kind of going into it blind. You right. don't know what decks people are going to be playing. Why? Exactly. Play this game? Yeah. Why, especially why Worlds format. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think James wanted to ask about uh, the OCG yeah. in general. Yeah. So oh, yeah. This, is, this, this is the first year where no OCG players made top eight, and obviously it's all TCG players, which is quite something, really. What do you think, kind of? contributed to that because we were talking about maybe because they don't have as many big tournaments as us you know we have three four YCSs a season we have nationals and then we have well we have euros we have more regionals yeah. more often content as well there's so many really good content creators uh right now um especially in the recent years a lot of the top players have started to make more content yeah. sharing information teaching yeah. players and you know even now how we're talking we're talking a lot about fundamental concepts but five years ago when the YouTube scene was a bit quieter uh i guess this information wasn't shared as much i'm not sure uh, you yeah know. that's true um as far as the OCG, i think i think well for one thing i think we had a lot i think we had a lot of strong tcg players there this year um who put a lot of work in both from you know north america and europe and south america and the australians i think there were you know there were like there were so many good like both big name players and like lesser known players who were still were still really good and put a lot of work in um so i think we had a strong team but also i think um, the time rules were a big thing for OG players because this was the first year Worlds was held with the TCG time rule oh, instead okay. of turns. And so that's something that I think that is, 
I mean, think about, you know, I don't know if you guys were playing back then, but like when we first, when the time rules first came to the TCG, it took us several events to really adapt and kind of learn how to work with that. And um, so that was probably a challenge for them. Um, that might've been the biggest factor, to be honest. And also like, there was also a big difference in deck choice. They all kind of leaned toward like Brandon and Tear and yeah. TCG leaned toward like Dragon and Rika and like some other things. So there's a couple different factors. I think for me, we'll see what happens next year. For me, looking into it, it looked like that was the biggest factor because they they were playing like maybe tier two decks or maybe tier one point five decks. If you had to make a tier list of the meta, and then a lot of the CCG players were just playing dragons, Rika, Mathmech, like good decks, good hand traps, win going first, win going second. But yeah, yeah from my my thoughts outside. Right, right, like like right, like they chose decks that don't have as much non-engine, so it's like into that broader, more diverse field that may have been a weakness. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I will say that it's interesting. I think for the, the, the JYCS that they just announced for November in Nairobi, or I might, I probably just butchered that name. There's a, there's a Japan they announced for YCS yeah. for November, uh, for, for Japan for November. Um, I read through that. I was reading through the policy document for the tournament and it's, um, it looks like they're playing with very similar to TCG time rules. It was like, really? it's like, uh, if you go into time in like the first rounds of Swiss, it's just like an instant draw, regardless of who's up in life. I was like, that's an interesting rule and then for like top 64 it's like if you hit time it's you play till the end of the turn and then whoever's up in life wins and if it's equal then you play one more turn and then whoever's up in life wins so it's very similar to like a kind of similar to how here you know once it hits time it just ends kind of thing so that so maybe they're going to be um maybe they maybe by next year they will be more used to that if that's how they're going to start doing some of their tournaments over there so it, we'll see was is it a best of three for their YCS? Because I know it's not. It's best of one. It's best of yeah. one. Twenty-five minute rounds with those rules. Twenty-five minute rounds. It's tough. Twenty-five minute best of one, and then if you hit time, it's just a draw. I'm pretty sure a lot of their YCS or bigger tournaments are one day as well. They're not two day events, which is why they do best it, of one. Uh, yeah, it's a one day event. It's a one day event. So is it, do you know if it's best of one for top cut as well? Or does it split to best of three? It is. So it's a double elimination style tournament. It's just from the beginning, straight through bracket, double elimination style. Uh, they, there was a reference to top 64, but it's, I think it's, it was referring to like, once you get to the point of the bracket where there's 64 people left rather than oh, it cuts okay. top 64. I think it's just one bracket straight through. I could be mistaken on that part though. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, but it, it was it was translated to English through Google uh, through you know the, the browser translator, so it's possible I misinterpreted something. But that's what I'm, I, it, look, it looked like from my understanding. So if because... if Japan starts to have more kind of like if Japan starts to kind of base their tournaments off of what will go forward for Worlds, you think next year maybe they'll they'll do a lot better because they're more used to that kind of thing, or they you... might. I'm thinking that I, now I don't know if they're going to adopt those new time rules for for locals as well. So I don't know. I think they only have two YCSs per year in Japan, or on average. So I don't know if they'll potentially have that much experience with the new time rules by by next year. I don't like I don't know exactly what their regional structure is or anything like that. I know in China they have regional esque tournaments, but I believe I know they do turns for those. So I don't know. Maybe they'll have a little more experience with different time rules by next year. I'm not sure. Or maybe you know maybe they'll whoever qualifies next year will hopefully recognize that that's something they have to prepare for a lot and maybe they'll practice with like a timer or something i don't i don't know i feel bad because i feel like that was a disadvantage for them this year and i i, I guess i would to be honest i would probably encourage konami to maybe do turns for world's next year like it used to be um just so it's more fair for everybody but um we'll see um going on to the best we'll of one um i know they adapted the new time yeah. rules but i think the best of one might put them at a disadvantage going into the world's hmm. competition next year because if if it's the best of free format, it's a massive 
uh, difference in what you know the best decks they're playing and yeah. the best decks or best of three because we're not taking account the side deck. Right. Like, well, it's I... like going one step forward and, and one step backwards. Um, well, I think for for their locals, I know they do best two out of three. So they, I, I think it's just like the YCSs that are best of one. But do you think you learn a lot personally from YCS events? Because from TCG, I really like to see there's a 2000 man event, um, insanely competitive players. And yeah, for me, it's really good to see what deck comes out on top because you kind of like uh, notice what uh, key qualities give the winning deck, you know, what, what happens. Right. Yeah. And, and over the course of years, I've learned a lot from uh, events in Europe and TCG on, you know, how to deck build because of, yeah, yeah, because of these past events, and I think they might be missing out on. Yeah, that's a great point. We do. I mean, we definitely get tons of good information from our big events. So yeah, that's that is one other big another big difference. Yeah. Although in past years, that certainly hasn't hurt them because they usually tend to win world. <laughs> but not this year. Not this, not not this year. year. If you're going. We'll see. You never know. <laughs> the first back-to-back -back world champion. Would it be the first back-to-back? No, the, there's a the Japanese player. Um, I think, yeah, I, I know there's a Jap, uh, Shinsuke Hayama, I think was his name, something like that, something like that. I probably butchered that too, but I'm, I tried. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, guys. He, I think, I know he won. I don't know if it was back to back, but I know he won twice. I, I think it was back to back. I think it was. I think it was back to back. Yeah. So, That's crazy. Yeah. He's probably the favorite cool. of the previous world champion. They've got like a year to prepare, get to know the OCG, get to know TCG. It's kind of yeah. like a massive buff, but I, I do like to see it. It's kind of nice. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, that, for sure. I mean, I was thinking to myself, well, if I played 135 hours in three weeks this year, <laughs> if, I have a whole, if I have several months this time, like, <laughs> I want to be on full power. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, but, I mean, I, you know, I'm going to have to be testing for TCG format too for NAS and stuff. So we can't, can't just give up on that just because we're already qualified for world. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm qualified for world, I'm not hundred percent sure if I have an invite next year. I'm still waiting to hear back on that. So we'll see. Because because the 2019 champion wasn't there this year, he was playing Master Duel, so I don't think he had an invite for for the um the main event because of COVID. Because like because the because like the original 2020 rules got canceled because of COVID, and I guess they didn't roll his invite over. So I'm like, oh, well, that's that sucks. And then I'm like, well, if they didn't give him one, I don't know if I could get one next year either. So I don't know. I gotta wait to see. I ask. I'm waiting to hear back hopefully about that. Konami can be a bit of a mystery box when it comes to those things. Don't want to don't want to answer. But I'm sure they'll they'll let me know once they're once they're able to or whatnot so we'll see um I kind, of, I kind of wanted to ask you about you know you've been playing i was watching the podcast you did with pack and you were saying you played 17 years in the game and the first of ycs yeah. you mm -hmm. topped you won and i wanted to kind of yes. ask you uh i'm kind of new to competitive Yu-Gi-Oh. what was the kind of okay, cool, point cool. would you say for yourself that made you kind of um, click you know to to go from nothing to winning you know, it's oh. hard to say because, like, I never. I'm sorry. Did you want to say something, Marcus? Oh no, no, I 100. Oh. Uh, I wanted to talk about your 17 years in the game. Like, this is one of the key talking points I think uh, we wanted to have because there's so much to learn across uh, your career in Yu-Gi-Oh. And Yu-Gi-Oh memories for me tend to stick really well. I don't know if it's something traumatic about them. Like, <laughs> I can I can tell you about events vividly, like 10 years ago, 11 oh, years ago. That yeah. I played. It's um, so crazy. Yeah, well, I think there's a factor, like, I don't know if it's, like, recognized in psychology, but at least something that I've noticed is, like, uh, I tend to find that uh, when I'm the most stressed out or, like, anxious, uh, whatever, like, 
whatever tends to be happening in those moments tends to be like burned into memory more. So like I'll tend like if it, if at any point like I was like particularly stressed or particularly like like had like adrenaline, let's say or whatever, like I find that like uh, we tend to be more memory memory retentive of those moments versus when we're calm. So that's I would imagine that's the correlation because at Yu-Gi-Oh events we're probably like you know we're, we're having like adrenaline the whole weekend. We're super hyped. <laughs> yeah. We're super stressed. We're excited. So that's that's probably why like we remember those um like we probably remember events so so vividly um yeah and I know what you mean um uh, as far as the the seventeen years I, I've been playing um and was there a, was there a turning point I never really felt like there was a particular turning point where like I was like oh I get it now um it it was just you know it's just a process it's just like it was just like a long process I guess um for a couple of years before I finally got my first like top let's say I um I definitely felt like I had finally gotten to a point where I felt like I was you know good at the game and, and a lot happier with where I was around like maybe 20, 20 I think 2016 is when I got my first ARG top that was in the U.S. around the, at the time I, I talked about it a little bit on pack stream but there it was another kind of very competitive uh circuit that was that took place in the U.S. where they would have like big events like premier events every month or so and a lot of big players would fly to them um that was like my first like big success um and I ended up getting, I think I had like eight ARG tops throughout until they stopped doing those. And like, so I already kind of had had, had like some success, just not like, I've not, because I didn't really travel a lot. I only went to like one or like usually one YCS each year plus Nats for like most of those years, if not. Um, so finally when I was able to start traveling, I started, you know, finally having some Konami success. But um, so yeah, even kind of before that, like I said, I already kind of had felt like I had started to improve and have some success in the game. And my friends used to joke with me like, that like how do you not have a top yet yeah and i was out and then they used to they used to say like oh when you finally top you're gonna win on your first top and i was like that's not gonna happen and then and then it happened um so <laughs> you never it's, know what can happen but but it was a it was a long process it was a long journey <laughs> it's something i strongly believe because i've got like i haven't been in the game for a long time and i've had uh, encounters with so many amazing players and whenever they do well people are quick to judge oh in that one year they just instantly became an amazing player overnight and like you you really have to see them testing like every event, testing every event, learning from the previous event, roll, and that knowledge just yeah. rolls over, rolls over, and they eventually get to the point where they understand the game so well that they can just go to an event, top, 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 top. And I think people are quick to react and think, oh my gosh, what, what, what did he do in this one year? What, what changed for him? When I think it's more of like a long journey of continuously. Yeah, around. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, that's perfectly put. I guess following on from that, then, do you, do you think there was any kind of uh points where you're you kind of had to get over certain barriers within the game you know do you think um, there was points where you kind of stagnated in your learning or how good you were doing and then you kind of found a new barrier to get over and then that kind of allowed you to can you continue hmm. yeah there definitely were some i think but well so one was like i mean one was like i guess a personal thing i i part of the reason i couldn't travel for a long time was for like health reasons I had a very restricted diet because of like food allergies. So I, like if I went to, if I wanted to go to an event, I had to bring like four days worth of food with me from home, which was very hard to do on an airplane. So like, that was why I couldn't really travel for long. Cause I guess that was like a personal barrier that I bet. So like every, you know, and everyone has their own potential, potentially potential, like personal barriers that, you know, we're not aware of each other. So, you know, you don't know what someone else might be going through, why they might be struggling more than others or what extra barriers they might have. So like, that's, I guess, something to always keep in mind. Um, when like looking at others, it's like, we shouldn't judge each other too much. Cause you never know what barriers each person has. But, um, as far as then, as far as, uh, like it within the game, um, to answer your question, 
uh, definitely one, I guess, for me was um, stamina, like in-person stamina, because like I said, before I traveled to a lot of events and when I went to just like um, ARGs, which were not as quite as big and long as, as YCSs, and when I kind of, a lot of my testing time was just on dueling book. I used to grind rated back in the day too on DBs. That was like a lot of my gameplay, you know, going from that to actual, you know, long two-day in-person events like YCSs and WCQs, it's even if your game, even if your technical play is really good and you practice and your deck's good, like just the aspect of, you know, just being able to stay focused and not like, and not uh, losing to fatigue uh, throughout the weekend is like a skill that, so for me personally, that was one of the things I struggled with. I found when I did start traveling finally a lot and, um, and let's say at the events I did go to when I was going more infrequently, like just fatigue, like if I didn't sleep well, if I don't, even now sometimes if I don't sleep well before, like the night before an event, like that's a huge thing for me, like getting good sleep. I find like there will be a point like midday one where I just crash and just can't focus. So um, I've definitely like, after going to a lot of events over the past year and a half, so that's, that is something that like, that's, I've improved on to where I feel happy that I kind of, that's like, I guess one of those like barriers that I kind of overcame. Um, some of the events I've done well, I certainly did not sleep well due to, nerves or or roommates or whatever and was still including worlds and and um and like coach Rico last year where i got second i was didn't sleep well there um but was still able to do well um so you know that's like yeah definitely that was one for me that was like a big barrier that i guess i finally like overcame sort of um so yeah, it's, it's very, sometimes it's things like that that you wouldn't think of you know you never know what what your own personal barriers are until well a friend actually is who pointed that out to me recently she was like you know yeah, I remember you used to seem used to be like so out of it by the end of day one and you would like bubble for day and I'd be like, Yeah, you're right. And she was like, Yeah, I'm like happy that like lately like you've been like you've seemed like way better with that. And I'm like, Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. What um, tips can you give to maybe someone that might also be struggling with the same barrier? Yeah, I mean it depends it depends on like what like I said, everyone's cause everyone's personal barriers are different. But I think some big ones are like are that, right? So like just, you know, try as much as you can to like really make a goal to get good sleep before an event um or you know also like and like eat a lot of people like don't eat or drink during events and like that's an important thing um but and then as like as far as like gameplay you know my main advice i always give to players is practice as much as you can that's the most important thing even over theory i think just just you know putting the hours in and practicing and testing is really big um if your if your barrier is nerves because that's another one for a lot of people i would say just practice maybe practice um in testing with a clock, right? Instead of just, you know, normal on time, uh, as well as practicing without a clock, because that's also really, really important. So you have to do both if you want to, if you want to do that. Um, and yeah, it, it really depends. Everyone, you know, everyone has their own barriers and there's different advice for, for every hurl. Um, but those are some of the things that I've, you know, worked on, like I said, so. Um, I, I want to talk about some of the ones I had. I don't know if you maybe can relate. Um, so I started playing this game 14 years ago. And there, I started doing a bit well lo uh, in the local local area, and I started maybe doing a bit well at one or two YCSs. But one thing for me, sometimes I would do well at an event, and they would go to like three or four, six months of me not doing well. And one of the things I it took me a, a, a while to notice was the deck I played actually had a massive impact on my results. I don't know if you also had uh, this too. Like I would even play a lot, so much, spend so much time playing a deck, and I'll go to the event. And I felt like I knew how to play my deck perfectly, but I couldn't get the results. And I think what changed is me trying to understand, oh, if I change the deck I play, I give myself a better 
five cards to draw, which dramatically increased how well I, I do it. And I went, as soon as this like changed, I felt like I could start going deeper into uh, the tournament, like uh, go to day two, because my deck is just better. Go to make top card, because my deck is better. I don't know if that switch changed for you or you always recognize you're always playing the best deck from. It's yeah. interesting because that's it's, that's a very interesting point because I have to say I usually I almost feel like I've I've come to like the opposite conclusion over the years. So I I always say like I used to very much focus on like my goal was oh my goal in testing was always to find the best deck right to find the best deck with the best matchups and the best medical for the event and a lot of events I would I I still feel would have correctly identified the best deck but at the tournament just wouldn't do that well because I was playing the best deck but it wasn't the deck that I had put the time in with. And I didn't know it at, in and out as well as, let's say, a different deck that maybe wasn't quite as good or as perfect of a matchup, but that I just knew in and out and, you know, had like a really refined deck list, knew all the siding patterns, knew all the matchups, knew all the interactions. And I always, so now I've come to the realization I should like, I always play the deck that I know the best that I've put the most time in with over if there's a conceptual best deck that I think is theoretically a better call, but that I haven't put the time in with. I'll always go with the deck that I know the best personally over the the best deck, let's say. Um, but it, it's kind of like a I don't know. So it's weird. So I've almost had the opposite um, kind of uh, revelation. So I don't know. But yeah. I think it, it probably depends on like it probably depends on the context. Like for what I'm saying to work, you have to you know the deck you know the best still has to be a good deck, right? Yeah. And like you know on, on the and conversely like with what you're saying, if you stick with or, or like let's say we're sticking it, with it, you know the deck you know the best, if it's a bad deck. Yeah. That were not as good if it just just isn't just isn't good enough. Even no matter how much time you put in with it, it might just not be able to get there. So I guess it depends on the context and how far we're going into into how deep we're going into those concepts. Yeah, and the second barrier I don't know if you might also relate to this is to get I feel like to win the event or to go really deep, you need to figure out what the best non-engine is to play in the deck because you might have the best deck. Yes. And you might recognize everyone's rolling up with cash Terra to the tournament, but if you've given yourself the worst non-engine cash Terra cards to draw you will lose in top cut mm -hmm. against someone that's maining free yes. talent, free econ. And it's like, if you can't recognize this and you say, okay, I'm playing really amazing my cash lyric, I'm going to locals, I'm doing well. Um, yeah, that's something that also clipped in my head. I can't just play the best deck. I have to find the best variant of the best deck. Yes. So when I go to top mm -hmm. cut, I can, you know, run deep. 100%. Like with like cash. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I didn't know if that was something maybe you changed to recognize what the best non-engine was. For me, there was definitely a period where I was... Uh, playing the best deck, but I didn't really know how to choose what cards were. Uh, maybe, maybe yeah. I... Yeah, that's definitely a thing. Like I said myself, I kind of over time kind of came to the realization of I, I just like to have, you know, like I said, as much broad coverage as I can. Whereas in the past, maybe I, I think in the past, like I would a lot of times build my main, like very focused on just like beating the mirror, let's say, right? Or like the top one or two matchups that I thought were like the best decks. And then I would just face like, like everything else in Swiss and just my Don engine would just be dead. And it's just like, which and there's still an argument to be made for that strategy because some people argue like, you know, it's worth taking a disadvantage in Swiss to have a better advantage in top cut when you're more likely to play mirrors. But I've, I've, I definitely, you know, I just like to have my decks be as consistent and have as much coverage as possible. So like, like, like with cash, like you mentioned cash and non-engine spots, like for, for uh, the 250th YCS, um, I played, um, my rule was I wanted all my non-engine in the main to be always live both first and second so that was like the, so so for example econ which was also really good in the mirror so there's double advantage to it but but like it's a card that is good first and second whereas like evenly matched which, which was a popular main or gamma a lot of my friends were really hyped on gamma for the 250th and i was like 
I really, yeah. really don't feel comfortable playing Gamma because, like, first of all, not only is it it's just, it's, it's just dead, it's just dead, going to be dead going first, so you're just going to be playing with one less card every game. Kashira has no discard outlets, so you won't be able to get no, you won't even be able to, like, discard it. And, like, in Kashira, especially, like, it felt like a lot of times because everyone's building their deck to be able to break the Kashira board, it's like you need, it's really important that that last card in your hand or that that non-engine spot is something that when they break your board or attempt to, it's something that can back up your board and stop them. And if it's just like a Gamma, it's just like you can't afford for that last card to be dead. So I was very against maining like Gamma or evenly or conversely maining like go for hard, go first cards like like the Solemns. I would never main those. But that said, the Australians all mained like six Solemns and they all made top 16 at that event, all three of them, which is insane. So maybe that was actually correct. But any case, um, no, so I, I didn't want to do like evenly or gamma or things like that. So like I, I made my non-engine was like talents, econ. I think yeah. I don't remember if I played mourner at that event or not, but like cards like that, I wanted just cards that will always be live in every situation and, and matchup. So that's, def that's definitely a thing. Um, I've, I've like that 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 concept is something that definitely like I came to over the years. I definitely used to maybe tunnel more toward just building for the mirror or for one matchup and then uh, underestimating all the other matchups. That makes sense. I think uh, for me, like I said, I'm kind of new to competitive Yu-Gi-Oh. I've only been playing this season, this okay. past season. And okay. for me, one cool. of the biggest barriers cool. that I had was, uh, you know, I joined Disciples or like I started hanging around with these guys and I started testing with them and just getting around to productive testing. You know, beforehand, if yes. I was going to an event, I would spend maybe the day testing on DB. But more recently, I found I could spend 10 hours beforehand testing on DB and learn half as much as I would in an hour nowadays, just because I've learned how to productively test. I've learned how to, you know, use my time effectively. You know, one of the main things is like mm -hmm. um, beforehand, if I had a new non-engine card I wanted to test out, I'd just chuck it in my deck and run a load of games. But now I'm like forcing it into good hands, forcing it into bad hands, figuring out like right. where it's good, where it's bad, if it's needed, or even just like reviewing replays. It it only takes five minutes to review a replay, but you learn way more from that than just running another game, I feel like. So I don't know, did you is that something you used to do where you like suddenly you were using your time better and just learned loads more? Yeah, I mean that came for me more a a number of years ago, but definitely there was a time where like I would just I I loved going to locals. I would just go to locals, you know, all the time. And that was mainly, you know, my Yu-Gi-Oh was mainly just going to locals. Um or maybe playing DB, but like it was just like I'd be playing. Like I, I wasn't like actively playing DB with the purpose of like contemplating like my deck or my decisions. It would just be more casually. Um, and definitely like you know, once I started, for me, I think around 2016 when I first really started feeling like I was getting better at the game was right around when I started doing a lot of. I would I had I would take two decks like that I had built like built in person. Like I think it was Shadow and Necros at the time. And I would just play them against each other. Like I would just play against myself over and over and over and over and over. And like that was like kind of maybe my first experience with like real in-depth like testing. Cause I, because I was playing against myself, I had all the time in the world to be like, is that the right move? Let me go back. Let me try that. Let me let me see if that was right. And like actually if I do this, but if he does this, I'm playing against like, well but I do this and I do this and the other player but then she does this and this and this. And it's like let me go back and try that. And like that was like and that's like like I always say, you know, when I give advice to players, like when you play on DB with your friend in testing, that's how you should be doing it. You know, the goal is the goal is not to win, the goal is to learn. So it's like you want to go back, you want to explore all the lines, you want to like take as much time as you can to like explore everything. And my first experience that was actually just playing against myself with physical decks. And then, you know, after that, I applied that to dueling book to my testing session. And yeah, that's, that's kind of how I learned to to really test like properly like that. Um, yeah. 
there's definitely a big difference because yeah that's like the, the main the main way i put it to people you should the goal is not to win the goal is to learn in, in testing um because a lot of players like they'll play and they'll be testing right but they'll just be playing games and like and like if like you misplay it's like oh it's like, ah my point misplayed now i got him but it's like no when you're testing you know that's not how you you should be looking at it you should be collaborating right um so that's like a big thing yeah definitely i mean it, i guess going off that what do you think would make someone like a good testing partner if you were to give people out there advice on how they can test um, better with their friends or you know how they can be better in test yeah but just being a testing partner and making that circle i mean ideally if you if you know someone who is an, a, a, a veteran player or an experienced player who's willing to work with you you can learn so much just from seeing how they do it and you know learning those those practices um but you know if you're just with your friends and you guys are starting out and you're trying to improve definitely like i said like in your games like if you see something sometimes it's hard like if you well first thing would be i guess like you know like when you're playing don't just like 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 really consider all the options take your time you know you're not on the clock like you are in a tournament setting right when you're just testing, you're not on the clock so you take your time um think like if you if you can if you have the opportunity or if you think of it you know think back like hmm, did i play that game correctly like was there something different i could have done or you know if you see your friend you're playing against made a mistake you know point it out because that's like a that's the perfect gateway for like a conversation or a discussion about like what a better line could have been it's like it's sometimes easier to it's sometimes easier to notice when your opponent made a mistake than it is to notice when you made a mistake right so like definitely if your friend like if you see something point out discuss it start a discussion and that's a great way to start discussions and start helping each other improve even if you're maybe more beginner players or like i said neither of you are really veterans you know that's a great way to spark those conversations and start practicing that more in-depth way of testing um that's something i'd say yeah i mean even at locals i would always say uh, after the game if you've lost not like don't just pick up your stuff and walk away try and figure out like why oh, yeah. you lost like even if you're yeah. doing it by yourself or talking to your opponent saying you know what do you right. think i could have done differently because you know do it at the end of the match because they're probably not going to tell you in game game two like oh yeah if you'd play oh, this yeah. way you're going <laughs> to beat yeah. me but at the end of the match just say like what can i do what could i have done was there a different card i could have hit with this hand trap if i'd held the hand trap yeah. with this like ask the questions if you're not asking questions you're not going to learn 100%. right yeah, exactly. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I know. Definitely, that's a good thing when you lose. Definitely think back and try to th even if you you know can't talk to your opponent, just think about what you maybe could have done better. Or I always do that. Like whenever I lose, I'm like I'm sitting there for like five minutes after, and then someone comes over like, "You all right, bro? You're just sitting here." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I'm trying." Um, they're like, "You all right?" I'm like, "No, I lost." No, I'm just kidding. But I'm like, I'm like, I'm just thinking, I'm trying to figure out what uh, you know, what I could do. And there's almost there's almost always like something that you can, not always, but like I would say like 80% of the time, there's something you can identify that if you had done differently, you could have won potentially. So um, it's always good to try to identify those things and then, you know, be able to apply them for the future. I wanted to ask, do you do this thing where when may, may, when you lose a match, and maybe a YCS, yes, do you ever just sit down at the table and just replay the whole match in your head? I know it's something I do. Um, oh, yeah, that's uh, why I was, that, that's yeah, what I was, that's exactly, what I was Yeah, exactly, yeah, I didn't know, yeah, it's yeah. just crazy. You just sit down and you're like, oh, where, where did it go wrong? Yep. No, exactly. Usually there's like one point, usually like in the tournament when I like make, like usually pretty quickly after I make a mistake, I've, I can recognize like, oh, that was probably a mistake. And then at the end, like, I'll go back to that point. And then let's say like replay the game from that point. Right. It, like, okay, if I'd done this instead, what would have happened? And then I'll try to think about it. No, yeah, it's always that. fun. Not actually fun. It's kind of, it's kind of down bad, but it's, it's, it's good.
I think eventually <laughs> it'll pay off and then it's fun, right? And then it's considered yeah, fun. Yeah. It's character building. That's what I call it. <laughs> character building to the next round. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was yeah. uh, an area above competitive edge. I know we've touched on uh, how to test um, playing the game. It was the more so uh -oh. the Oh, look, sorry, let's, 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 you could have yours for a second. I'm sorry, could you restart that from competitive? Oh, last yeah, was competitive. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. It was, I wanted to talk about the topic of uh, competitive edge. It's something I personally am like invested into and trying to find ways to give myself some sort of edge in, um, in big tournaments because it's so hard. You're surrounded by, you're competing against players with 10 plus years yeah. of experience, veterans in the mm -hmm. game, and you're trying to beat them. And I, I personally always try to think of different ways that I could do something cool or maybe do things in a different way. I don't know, is this something you think of consistently or do you try to level up and then try to find new ways of doing things? Uh, um, I tend to, so um, um, I definitely do, just not necessarily with deck building. Like a lot of players, you should look at it as they'll try to find, you know, some tech card or some engine or, or deck choice that, you know, catch people off guard or, or just really good into the meta to, to you know, try to gain advantage from that, from something in the, in the deck. Um, like, I, like I've said, I tend to always lean more toward the, stand, the standard options. I usually, whenever there's like a, a hot tech card, I like sit down, I analyze it, and I almost always end up coming to the conclusion that it's just not good. I'm, I'm probably too, too critical of, of new ideas in that sense. I'm very hypercritical when I analyze things. So maybe there's, there's probably been plenty of good tech options that were good that I dismissed pre pre prematurely. But um, I, I more focus on, you know, I just look at it as my, even if my, we, I have the same deck as everyone else, I am going, my focus is I want to be able to go in knowing that I practiced more than everyone else. So that's, that's where I try to, you know, take my edge, my gain the edge from, let's say, not necessarily from the deck, from deck building, but just from knowing, like, you know, I think a huge part of modern Yu-Gi-Oh! is just knowing just as many interactions as you can, like in all, as many matchups, and just like having all the side patterns down, having practiced all the side patterns and optimized them, having optimized your build, and just, and just going in with as much knowledge as you can. Um, and that's where I try to, and I, that's why I try to always motivate myself and remind myself, you have to test, you have to practice, even if I don't feel like it, it's like, you know what, because that's where, um, I remind myself my edge okay. can come from when I go to the tournament. So I, so that's kind of the aspect that I focus on. But it's okay. not not to say that you know trying to get an edge from deck building is wrong. It's certainly not wrong. It's it's very beneficial too. So you know everyone we but but definitely like we all have we all want to definitely it's good to try to find something to focus on to you know to be able to give yourself an edge because you know to win you have to have some kind of edge. So getting back to the topic of competitive edge, um, I think there's a lot of edge in teamwork. And I know this is what I personally am trying to push in my team um, is, you know, improving the way that we work. Because there's only so much time that we have before an event. Uh, maybe the new, new um, ban list drops, you've only got one week to prepare. If we're able to maybe leverage everyone's time and information, I think we can get to like the correct solutions. Um, right. After. And this is like, a, I would say, our competitive edge right now. We're trying to find the best deck. Um, learn the best deck and also be able to teach the best deck because I've personally, I have a friend, Henry, um, he was playing Kashtera and he kind of figured out all the best lines and all the best ways to play the mirror. Instead of me individually going off and trying to figure this out, he just kind of gave it to me on a plate and spoon fed yeah. this information. And now once I had this information, I could kind of look into it from like a fresh pair of eyes, going from mm -hmm. like a very good fundamental point. Um, I don't know. I know you said you test with Hani a lot and I can imagine yeah. he must have given you a massive 
edge, you know, into the world's world tournament. And I don't know if this is something you're pushing towards, maybe trying to. No, definitely. Uh, no, definitely. Teamwork and collaboration is huge. Like, like you said, like if one person has been practicing with deck a lot, um, you definitely can't play a deck just based off information that's been given to you. You still have to, I yeah. think, ha hands-on practice it a, a, a certain amount yourself just to go like, I, I, at least I find personally, if someone tells me, let's say like, all right, in this situation, if this happens, you do this, there's a good chance when it actually comes, happens the first time, I'm, I'm going to mess it up. Yeah. So, but, but once I've gone through it once, you know, usually I'll, I'll, you know, then that point be, be good with it. But, um, but definitely like there is benefit in, like you said, let's say someone's been practicing a deck and let's say you know nothing about the deck, right? Let's say the first time you sit down, if they're with you to like walk you through the bait, like the lines, that's like, that saves a huge amount of time, right? So there's definitely areas where like having a, a partner to work with and someone who can, it, it, it definitely overall is, is absolutely huge. So like I said, there's like, there's some, there's some amount of practice that you still have to have to, to do yourself before the tournament, but having a teammate or a friend who can help is, is definitely saves like a huge amount of the time. Um, and it's definitely really beneficial. I, I agree, like just having, you know, good people to work with is, is huge. And it's good because we help each other. Yeah, so. I think uh, a testing partner also has to be enjoyable because, like, when you're surrounded by friends, it's crazy for me. Like, how my friends kind of force me to play Yu-Gi-Oh. Like, I'm just around my friends, and we're like, "Oh, let's talk about Yu-Gi-Oh because I enjoy it. Let's play Yu-Gi-Oh because I enjoy it." And it's definitely one of the, for me, the driving factors that has pushed me, uh, you know, uh, to be better yeah. at the game. And I, I, yeah. I, I think it's one of the biggest things that can push you to be uh, one of the better players. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, for us, like. We might not even be talking Yu-Gi-Oh, but we just join Discord. We just talk. Well, you know, we're friends outside of Yu-Gi-Oh, obviously. So we, we jump on Discord. We're just talking. And then, you know, Marcus might join and go, oh, guys, do you hear what, what do you think about this list that came out? And then all of a sudden we're talking about Yu-Gi-Oh, but we're not, we're not forced into that situation. We just enjoy each other's company and we have that shared right, right. common goal. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, nowhere, it's nowhere near like a, a chore to talk about it. You know, it's enjoyable. Yeah. And you learn more when it's not a chore as well, and you don't, you're not forcing yourself to do something, you know? 100%, 100%, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, like, joining a competitive team just changes the whole view. Not just a competitive team, actually. Maybe just joining a group of friends that share a common goal. Yeah, exactly. It's it just... doesn't have to be a team, just a group of friends. You know, you guys are all motivated together 100% I think oh I mean I know the disciples for instance just started out as a group of friends that went to regionals and then they went to nationals and then YCS's and then just that common goals always been there so obviously the skill level is always going to go up as long as you're helping each other so yeah it's really nice to see but uh kind of in terms of goals for you what what are your next goals now because you kind of you, you've done it all you know you've won a YCS you've won one world so you you finished the game what's yeah the, what's the next next level and you kind of <laughs> speed run it as well like you, it's not that long ago that you got your first win then you got your second and now world you know yeah 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 it was my my first top was a win my third top was a second place my fourth top was a win and then <laughs> got my fifth top and then i won the playoff and then i won fourth <laughs> um I mean, for the next step, I don't know. I mean, I gotta keep. I mean, I'm I'm gonna keep competing. I I, uh, I definitely want. I'm definitely like still feel like super super motivated right now to keep like. I, I want to go as many YCS as I can this season. Uh, I want to 
I mean, I guess the big goal is going to be trying to go back to back, right? I'm going to test as much as I can next year, but statistically, that would be very unlikely, but we're going to try. We're going to try our best. Um, and then, yeah, just gonna ho- hopefully maybe, you never know, maybe, maybe pick up another YCS win this year would, would be, would be really cool. So we're going to try. Are you the kind of player that <laughs> I got friends who got I got friends who got five, so I still got five. <laughs> Are you the kind of player that really enjoys kind of just going from event to event? Like you don't kind of set yourself anything like, oh, there's four YCSs coming up, I have to top four of them, or do you just go, okay, first um, YCS, let's get that out of the way and then think about the next? I mean, I'd like to top, you know, a certain percentage of them, let's say, but you know, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. I've had some pretty bad streaks even within the past year and a half. So, you know, I just Usually when I do bad at one, it kind of motivates me more like, all right, well, now I have to make up for that one to keep my, my, my top rate up. So it, it motivates me. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, I uh, so I, 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 I just kind of, each one, each one's important to me. So yeah. I just look at it. That's fair enough. I think um, sometimes goals for me personally, like in, in the past, I've kind of set myself goals and um, they've kind of done the opposite of motivate. They demotivated me because maybe mm. you don't reach those goals and you put so many hours into them and then yeah. uh, they kind of, they really ruin your mental. And I think that was a, going back to kind of barriers that you have to overcome. Um, I think as a newer competitive player, setting those goals can sometimes be um, demotivating and do the opposite and really after the event, you feel really down. But I think it's important to remember, you know, personally for me, I, I'm now taking it event to event. I'm not really thinking about what the event is, if it's a regional or YCS nationals or euros i'm just kind of thinking okay round by round need to do as best as i can do instead of yeah you know if i don't top this all, all that time's wasted or something like that you know yeah yeah i mean it's never really wasted right because most formats even if they change you know a lot of the decks are you're still gonna be seeing a lot of the same decks from the prior format so you know whatever all that time you, time you put in one like one good way of looking at it is like well you know that's still like that's still time that like just passing those reps against those decks it's still in your memory bank for like the next event so e- even if you do bad it's like there's still there's still always some value from that testing time for the next event so never feel like it never feel you should never feel like it was was wasted yeah i think learning from mistakes is yeah. just something you've just got to do right like you're never going to get 100%. better if you don't learn from them and you don't kind of mm-hmm. overcome them to a certain extent yeah yeah definitely definitely marcus if you got anything else kind of on your talking point no, I think uh, you've answered all my questions perfectly. Um, is there any more? Is any awesome. more anything you want to talk about? Personally? I think I think I've gone over most of the stuff I usually like to talk about. Like I said, guys, just you know, to all the viewers, just you know, practice when you can, and um, you know, collaborate and and uh, experiment. Um, and yeah, that's pretty you know pretty much it. I think we talked about a lot of good stuff. It was fun. That's yeah, it. You know, that's good. I, I appreciate insight, and I'm sure all the viewers appreciate appreciate your insight there's a massive yeah. barrier to entry in this game of Yu-Gi-Oh and yeah I'm there is very much who else, who else are you going to listen to uh than the world champion so <laughs> and I guess what's the next event for you then what what have you got a YCS um, plan now Apollo? I I might skip the 3v3 YCS in Brazil just because it's a 3v3 I don't you know um, the tickets are kind of expensive for that one from 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 even from America and uh, I don't have like a team set, so I'm probably gonna end up skipping that one. I will be at Vancouver and I will be at Cancun, so those are gonna be the next two for me. Brilliant, we'll be looking out for you there then. Oh, Mark, sure, yeah. yeah, I'm going with a lot of the guys from the UK. Going just for yeah, you guys going to both or one, one, which one? 
Uh, we're going Vancouver and Cancun. So Vancouver is going to be like, ah. yeah. Um, and so then, I'm really uh, looking forward to it. Um, okay. Yeah, cool. should be really, yeah. I'm happy to see and, like loads of people from the US. And, and you know, I just love going to different continents and it's the beauty of the game. It's so, yeah. It is so beautiful that the game gives you like so many opportunities to travel and meet uh, people wow. across the world. Are, um, are you guys going to Dortmund? Yeah, we're, it's, it's going to be a long September. It's going to be a very, so <laughs> I, yeah, I live in a house with Gabriel Nets and he's already flew out to Brazil um, to see his family. So he's going to be doing all four, all four. Okay, be crazy. I need to ask you a question now. I am very confused because over the past three years, I've gone back and forth from trying to understand. Is Gabe, is he from, so he's from both. Is he a European player or a South American <laughs> player? Because I swore I thought he was a European player. And then one day I was like, wait, he's Brazilian? And then one oh. day I was like, wait, he's in Europe again. I'm so confused. So, okay, so this is actually what happened. So he was Brazilian. Then he came to, yeah, he's, he's Brazilian. He was born in Brazil. Brazil is his whole life. Then he came to London for his university study. And then his first year of university, he met our disciples group. And then, you know, our team is all about teamwork, competitive edge. And then he just went, whoosh. Maybe we'll okay. take the credit, but yeah, he's uh, a he just lives in the UK, uh, in this house, like a bedroom upstairs. Nice, nice. He he built the deck that well, basically built the first version of the deck that I won my base. first YCS with. So, oh really? Mm -hmm. yeah, base yeah, base. Deck. Yeah, my friend, my my friend, his name's Brad, who I test with. He was like my main testing partner at the time. He's awesome. He he's like brilliant player. We we were testing a ton, and like a, a week and a half before the event, he hit me up. He was like, "Yo, there's a deck like." I'm watching on DV right now. It's like it, I think it, I think we should look into this. And it, you know, it was the base deck that gave him playing. And um, and we we made some changes. We we added Punk Engine. We played Cross Out to name. We made some changes. But like, no, that Gabe was I think the kind of the first person who who created the base deck, which ended up being a huge thing in that format. So people people like referred to it as my deck. They're like, oh, your 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 base deck you made, but technically I didn't make it. You know, Gabe Nets made the first version of that deck. So. It's quite funny. Yeah. Gabe's like adamant on playing 60 card based lists from now on. Ever since then, he's like, <laughs> every regional we go to, he's playing a different 60 card adventure synchron <laughs> file thing. He always does well up? with them. So, like, good, good. You know, it's just the Gabe I like magic. That. I like 60 card decks too, so. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think just a massive thank you, Paulie, for joining us. It's been a great awesome, talk. Yeah. Like, thank, you guys for, thank you guys for having me. That was fun. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you enjoyed the conversation and you know, oh, you know, happy to spend time with us. I know I learned a lot. I'm hoping other people learned a lot. Uh, I enjoy, you know, just talking about the game, especially with someone as accredited yeah. as you. So, no, a huge thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, All right, guys. A couple of shout outs to like uh, Disciples, the Brotherhood Games. Brotherhood Games. Uh, Hash for sending you a message and maybe getting getting you on the podcast. So a massive shout out to Hash. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that biggest, you know, one to Paulie and best of luck for Vancouver and Cancun. Thank you. Same to you guys. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. And we'll catch you in the next episode.